Hi, good morning, everybody. Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 22? Matthew 22. We're going to take a look at something I think that's going to be super familiar to you this morning. Matter of fact, I want to, to ask you a question. Have you, have you ever overlooked the obvious? Any, any takers on that? Ever misplaced your keys in plain sight? <laughs> there they are. I don't know how that happened. Well, I must be really, really good at that. Um, one, uh, uh, one morning, uh, my wife's here, uh, Janice, and we got three of our kids here, and that's, it's always a blessing. I don't, get to, I don't get to share this moment with them a lot because we're in different places quite a bit. But uh, one morning early on in our marriage, Janice looked at me and she said, uh, hey, blink your eyes. And I'm thinking, well, maybe she wants me to wink at her, you know? And uh, so I blinked my eyes, and she, said, she started laughing. And I'm like, well, what are you laughing for? And she said, did you know that every, every time you blink your eyes, there's a little place on your nose that does this? And I was like, no way. And she's like, yeah, way. Go look in the mirror, buddy. And so there I am looking in the mirror, trying to blink my eyes and wash my nose. And sure enough, sure enough, every time I blink my eyes, there's a little place on my nose that does this. We call it a nose blink. And she said, see, it's proof that your wires are crossed. I'm like, maybe some truth to that. But uh, one of the things, I was, I was probably uh, well into my 20s, maybe closing in on 30, uh, before I recognized something as plain as the nose on my face. I'd been living with this my whole life and never recognized it. And so... Um, I would just submit to you this morning that it is possible to miss or overlook the obvious. And I'm going to read a passage that you're going to be very familiar with. And I'm going to see this morning if, if maybe you've overlooked something that's been there all the time, but you've overlooked the obvious. Now, as a seminary professor... I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to give you a quiz that we're going to take out loud. And this is a pass or fail quiz, by the way. It's, there's no in-between. There's no do-overs. It's based on four questions, and you've got to get them all right to pass. You can't miss one. It's not like 50% or any of that business. You've got to get them all right. So I'm going to read over this passage from start to finish, and then I'm going to ask you four questions that you're going to have to answer. So... As we go through this, you're going to, to need to pay close attention to what this passage is saying. All right, y'all with me? All right. So Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Now, I want to pause there just for a moment and point out something to you. So, uh, this man was an expert. The Pharisee was an expert in what? Everybody say the law. Okay, everybody say the law. The law. He was an expert. And here's how we would, we would kind of process that today. He was the expert in the Bible. So, he would be like a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. He would be the guy that everybody went to for the answers to uh, what does the Bible say about this? He, he knew the scripture. He was an expert in the law. 
You know, when I was younger in my journey with Christ, I thought, I thought that the more I studied the Bible, the more I went to church, the more I prayed, the more I did Christian things, I would just like be like a river. You know, I would just naturally drift to become more like Jesus. But I've been at this for quite some time. And you know what one of the things I've recognized? That you don't naturally drift to become like Jesus. You know, if you're not careful, you naturally drift to become like this guy. A biblical know-it-all who is trying to be right. Trying to, really what he's trying to do is he's trying to trap Jesus He's trying to put Jesus in his place, the place that he thinks he should be. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. It's easy to misuse God's word. You can take God's word and you can be just like this guy and you can like, see, I'm right about this instead of trying to be helpful. You know, when God gave his word to us, I'm remembering the words of Moses in Deuteronomy as he's getting ready to depart the people of Israel, this is what he says about God's word. He says, the words I give you today are not idle words. They are your life. By them you will live. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we're not using God's word to help people live, to help people thrive, to help bring them up from where they where Satan has them, to where God wants them. And so I'll just share that as a point of of just observation. How can an expert in the scripture try to put Jesus, who is the living word of God, uh, in a snare or a trap? But he can, and he does. And so that can happen with us as well. So when when you're trying to handle the word of God, do it in a way that uh, is helpful. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So, question number one. The Pharisee was an expert in what? The law. The law. Okay. Now I'm going to read the rest of this, and then I'm going to, we're going to go back through our questions. All right. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All right, so here's the... the, I've already given you the first question. So the, the Pharisee was an expert in the... Okay, what's the first and greatest commandment? So when I do this, I want you to say, love God. Love God. Love God. Okay. Y'all are good. Y'all are with it this morning. That's good. Okay. So the first and greatest commandment is to? Love God. Love God. And uh, I'll just point out something here. Um, um, he gives him a second, and the second is like it. The Pharisee only asked for one response, but he gave him a second response. And what is the second greatest commandment? Okay, so for this morning, we're just going to say love people. 
So the first one is? The second one is? Okay, y'all with me? Okay, y'all with me. Y'all got it. Love God, love people. Question number four. How much of the Bible, how much of the, the Bible depends on loving God and loving people? Hmm. There it is. Every word from Genesis in the beginning to the final amen in Revelation. Jesus says, Jesus said this, it's hanging. It's hanging on loving God and loving people. Every word of God is hanging. Have you ever hung on anything? I mean, like when I was a kid, I climbed trees all the time. I don't know if y'all did that when y'all were kids. But occasionally I would get in a pickle. You know, and a pickle is, is when you're dangling from something that you don't want to drop from. It's a little too high, but you can't really do anything else. You're hanging on that. You're in a compromising situation. If the tree limb breaks, you're falling. If you can't hang on to something, then you're falling. This is what Jesus says about it. He says that all of God's word is hanging on... What's that? If either one of those falls, it doesn't stand. And so we need to talk about this morning and just consider together, what does it mean to love God with all you've got? He didn't just say love God. He said love the Lord your God with everything you've got, with your mind, with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, Luke says. And so we're going to talk about that just for a little bit. When, uh, uh, when I was in college, I was like all, uh, you know, like most other college students. I was broke and didn't have anything. And uh, I wasn't too worried about it because I'd never had much. So it wasn't any big deal to me. I had a sleeping bag and I slept on the floor most of the time. And so uh, uh, one weekend, my brother says... He had a, like a, a real regular job. He was married, had a house, had a car, all that stuff. He said, hey, we're going on a trip. Why don't you come over at my house this weekend and stay? And I'm like, huh, great, I'm all in. And not only did he have the house, the car, and all that kind of stuff, he had cable television. 400 channels worth of stuff that you could just do this, choo, 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 like a laser beam. It was wonderful. You know? And so I am, I am there, just can't even believe how, what a great life I have. And I'm, I'm flipping through the channels, and there's a movie that I saw. I want to watch this. Now, back in the day, Clint Eastwood was the man. He was like the rock today. You know, he's like, he was like the superhero of all superheroes. But Clint Eastwood's movie was coming on, and I'm like, I haven't seen this one. I can't wait to see it. And I'm just waiting until 1030 at night when it comes on. I'm just flipping channels until 1030 comes. In the meantime, while I'm waiting for this, this movie to start, I, I sense the Spirit of God speaking to me. Warren, just go to sleep. I'll give you a good night's rest. Well, I didn't want to go to sleep. I wanted to stay and watch that movie. And the Spirit of God is telling me to go to sleep. Have you ever been in that conundrum? Yeah, you've been there where you know what you want to do and you know what the Spirit of God wants you to do and they are not going in the same direction. That's exactly where I was. 
So let me ask you a question. What do you think I did? What? <laughs> that is exactly what I did. I stayed up and watched that stupid movie. And then after it was over, I tried to go to sleep. You can't go to sleep. I, was, I mean, I could have been singing that song, tossing and turning all night long. And finally, early in the morning, I didn't even bother like getting out of bed. I just rolled out of bed on my knees, started praying and like, Lord, I'm sorry. Watch that stupid movie. And I, I mean, I really started con to contemplate some things. How, how am I going to follow you all my life if I can't even not watch a movie when you ask me? And I said, I can't even obey you in the little things. How am I going to live for you forever? And then I sensed the Spirit of God speaking to me. And this is what I heard in my heart. Warren, you don't have an obedience problem. You have a love problem. Now I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God said that to me, it stopped me. And it was like God was about to do open heart surgery. He just cut me down and he just showed the true condition of my heart. If somebody would have asked me at that time, Warren, do you love Jesus? I would have looked in the eyes. I wouldn't have blinked and I would have said, yeah, I love Jesus. But you know what the Spirit of God was showing me? You don't love me as much as you think. I'll never forget that. You know, when you think about the words of Jesus in John, he says this. If you love me, you will obey me. Did you know that obedience is a natural fruit of love? When you love fully, you know what you get? You get obedience. And you know what most of our dilemma is we're trying to get people to obey God who don't love him. That's not ever going to work. You know, and, and he's given us a great, a great example of this. All of you who are parents, how many of you have sacrificed for your children? How many of you have done so when they haven't been grateful? How, how many of you have done it knowing that they wouldn't be, be grateful or thankful? Well, we all have. You know why? Because you love them. And it wasn't a big deal for you to look past all of their offenses to do that. And you know what? When we love God with all our heart, when he asks us to do something, it's not that big a deal. We're going to go do it. You need to not separate the idea of obedience from love, which we often do. And I'm telling you straight that if you love Jesus Christ with all your heart, you're going to do everything he asks you to do. And I want to tell you, he's not afraid of putting you in positions that are difficult. You can't read the Bible and you can't follow people who followed him and not come to that conclusion. He was always asking prophets to go talk to kings who didn't want to hear their message. He was always talking with people to go places they didn't want to go to do what he wanted them to do. And you know what they did? Well, if they were like Jonah, they didn't do it. But a lot of them did, and that's why we're all here today. A lot of them did. So the first and greatest commandment is to love God. love God. Love God. You know, I had another encounter that caused me to think about 
what does it really mean? What does it really mean for me to love God with, with all I am? And it was, uh, it was during our first pastorate. And uh, I don't know why Marvin didn't mention this important detail, but I was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. Now, that is true. Oregon is the caveat, not Dallas, Texas, but Dallas, Oregon. And so instead of having a bunch of staff and all that kind of stuff, there was a pastor of one. And uh, my wife was the volunteer for everything else, <laughs> right? That's how that worked. And there was, there, was, there was hardly nothing going on. And we got busy. I made a commitment to that church that this year they had, there hadn't been any vacation Bible school, sending kids to camp, any mission trips in years. And I said, this year we're going to do them all. We're going to go on a mission trip. We're going to send kids to camp. We're going to do vacation Bible school. We're going to, we're going to do what churches do. You know, and so we had this fantastic week of vacation Bible school. And uh, we had a lot of kids come from the, the, the area. And I was the proud teacher of the second grade class, which was the largest class. We had 17 second graders in that class. And I want to just tell you, we didn't have a room in the church that could contain 17 second graders. We literally had my class outside on the lawn, and I was just praying every day, just stay in the circle, just stay in the circle, right? Just stay in the circle, you know, and that was hard enough. And uh, I remember, you know, coming through that week, and Janice did a fantastic job, and every, the church pulled together, and we had some kids come to know Christ, and, man, it was exciting. It was good. And then that Saturday, we, we threw a... a Janice set up this whole thing called Dudger Spud, and it was a, a baked potato dinner fundraiser and a pie auction, and we did that to, so that we could raise money to send youth to camp for the first time in years. And it was, it was just awesome. Well, after that was all over, it was about maybe 10.30 or 11 o'clock, and I'm going through the building, turning off the lights, checking the heat, doing all the stuff that a single pastor does in a small church. And uh, I get back down to the kitchen, and there's, there's a mess in the kitchen. It wasn't a small mess. It was a big mess. And I'm like, what? Who does this? Who does this? And I'm thinking, may a flock of seagulls hover over whoever did this. You know? I was mad. I was mad because I, it was late. I was tired. I, had, I was woefully unprepared to preach a sermon the next day. You know? And then I'm going to have to get up early. I'm going to have to do this. And I'm like, you know what, though? I know how this works. I know how this works. If I leave this here and I just come back tomorrow, people are going to ask, who was the last person in the church? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That no good pastor. He left this mess. He knew it was there. He just left it for us. He probably made it himself. You know, and I'm, now I'm even more mad. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm overthinking things for sure, and I'm mad, and I get that broom, and I, you know, and I'm sweeping the floor, just, just unhappy. And through all that stuff, the Spirit of God says, Warren, if you sweep the floor like this, all you're going to get is a, clean, is a clean floor. But if you do it for me, everything will be different. Man. And there I am, madder than a hornet, under conviction. <laughs> you know? And I just get down on my knees in the middle of that floor. And I'm like, Lord, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry. 
I want to sweep this floor for you because I love you. And I'm telling you, after I said amen, it was like the Lord just swept all the ugliness in my heart out. And I felt the pleasure of God. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And I had joy that I couldn't really describe to you. It is what Jesus said it was. It was a joy that the world couldn't take away or explain. And this is what I learned. When you love God with all your heart, you can sweep a floor and feel His pleasure. Amen? So the first and greatest commandment is to? All right, one more time. Love God with all you got. Now we've got to talk about this second part. Do you you know why Jesus gave the second part of this? The Pharisees' question was, what is the greatest commandment singular? But Jesus didn't give him the greatest commandment singular. He gave him the one. He says that, and the second greatest commandment is like unto it. It literally means it's inseparable from it. Now, here's an implication to consider. You can't love God with all your heart and hate people. That doesn't work. But that's where the Pharisee was. And Jesus exposed the Pharisee's problem. His theological dilemma. And he just called him out. And he got serious really quick. John, and if you think this is, you know, optional, John says it just plainly in 1 John. He says, he says it this way. He says, if you say you love God, but you hate your, your, your brother, you are a liar. That's pretty straightforward, right? I'm telling you, just think about it. You know, John also says in 1 John chapter 4, he says something about the essence of God. Now, this is important to understand. He says that God is love. It's not that God just loves. It's who he is. His essence. It's like the cellular makeup of God is love. It's it's not something he does. It's who he is. When when a God who is love indwells you and me, how can we remain unloving? That math doesn't work out. He does something in us that's, that's different. He makes us love in ways that we couldn't love by ourselves. He transforms us into ways to, to do, do things that we, we couldn't have done. So the first and grace commandment is to? But the second one is to? Love people. Now we've got to talk about that one. And here's the honest truth. I think it's easier to love God and not love people. <laughs> Who are you mad at all the time? You know, you're mad at people all the time, Right? I don't know how that happens, but we're mad at people all the time. But Jesus says that you got to love God with all your heart and 
You've got to love people because they're linked. They're, unsa- they're inseparable from one another. So what, what does it mean to love people? What does it mean to love people? When I was a, a director of missions in northwest Indiana, it's where Marvin and I got connected, I would go out. I had a, an offer to pastors, and here's the basic offer. Hey, if you ever want to go out and get to know your community, I'll go with you. And nobody in your church wants to go, I'll go with you. Just call me up. We'll set up an appointment. We'll go, we'll go out and see what God does. And so I made a habit of that. And occasionally, people would call me up and say, hey, I want to go meet people in the community. I don't have anybody to go with me. Will you go with me? And I'm like, yep, I'll go. I never turned down an opportunity. And so this young man who had been in a church for five years, pastoring the same 20 people, he said, nobody's ever showed me how to do this. Would you, uh, would you go out with me and show me how to do this? I'm like, absolutely. Let's meet Saturday. I'll meet you at the church at 10 a.m. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll walk across the street. That's what we did. I showed up Saturday morning and it was in November. And I can tell you about, uh, it's cold in November in Indiana, just for the record. And it was right off the tip of Lake Michigan. It's cold up there. And so uh, I met this young man and we had a word of prayer. We walked across the street. We came to the first house and we didn't even have to knock on the door. They were standing outside. They were smoking cigarettes, a young man and a young woman. So we got to know them. Her name was Tanya. And uh, uh, I started asking them questions, you know, about trying to get to know them. You know, like, uh, tell me about you guys. And we found out that she was a new mother. Her baby daughter that she had just given birth to not too long ago had just got out of the hospital that week. And we found out that they were not married. We found out that neither one of them had a job. We found out that they were living with her dad. We found out that her dad wasn't happy about it. I mean, we got TMI. Like, a, we got too much information, you know, just right there. And, um, this, and then we asked them, you know, well, how are you and Jesus? And they were like, oh, we're not interested in any relationship with Jesus stuff. You know, they weren't interested in that. And, uh, and I, then I asked Tanya this question. I said, well, Tanya, I said, uh, what do you need for yourself or your, your daughter? And she just kind of, you could tell she's just contemplating. She's like, hmm. And she said, anything. We don't have anything. So anything would be helpful. And I said, Tanya, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. And church, here's what I've recognized. You can always do something. Jesus Christ indwells you. You always have something of worth to give the world around you. And so, before we, right after we left that, pastor sent an uh, email to some ladies in the church and said, hey, we met this young lady. She needs some help with her baby girl. Could you guys gather some, some stuff? Literally, that was Saturday. The next morning, we got to church. The ladies gathered three baskets full of stuff for that baby and had a special gift basket for Tanya. I'm telling you, I've never seen a happier pastor when he was delivering that to that house, it was like he was floating across the road. <laughs> you know, he's like, just skipping, just happy, just beaming. That's what the church looks like when she's radiant, when she's beautiful. It's undeniable. And uh, he was happy, happy as could be. Well, we were getting ready to close things up, and, and I said, hey, would it be okay if we prayed with you guys this morning? And uh, she said, sure. And this is what also I've learned throughout the years is that even people who 
won't readily confess that Jesus is real or do any of those type of things, they'll be open for somebody else praying for them. I don't know what that is, but most people are. And I said, hey, Tanya, could we pray for you? And she said, yeah. And so there we were holding hands on a very cold November morning in northwest Indiana praying that God would do a work in her life and her boyfriend's life, that he would provide work, that he would watch over that baby girl, that he would start repairing that relationship with her dad. I prayed everything good I could think of, and I said, amen. And she just kept a hold of my hand, and she did this number. And she said, thank you for stopping by today. Thank you. And I said, Tanya, you're welcome. This won't be the last you see of us. And so we left there, and I could tell the pastor was feeling really good. He said, like, this is what this is about, man. Man, I should have been doing this all the time. So the, the next house we came to, nobody answered, and that's how it works sometimes. Either they're not legitimately home or they see you coming, and that's okay. And uh, we got to about three houses down, knocked on the door, and the door flew open, and a guy was right in front of us, and immediately I knew this is a religious dude. You know, if you do this for a while, you start getting a read on people. You, you, you get to know what you're up against pretty quickly. And so he opened the door and said, hey, you guys, come on in, which I was grateful for because it was cold outside. Yeah. I was like, whew, so glad about that. You know, there's a saying in northwest Indiana, there, there are two seasons. There's winter and construction. That's it. That's the only seasons you got. So and I'll, when we uh, uh, say this is the doorway right here, we walked in the doorway and there was a couch sitting right back here. And then if you turn left this way, there was another wall and there was a couch there and you just sat and faced each other. And so he sat on this couch and we sat on this couch and we just looked at each other and he said, so what are you guys out doing today? And I said, well, you know, we're just out trying to help people, you know, tell them about Jesus, let, let them know that, that Jesus loves them, trying to pray, pray with them if we can, see if there's any needs that we can be helpful with, that kind of stuff. He said, oh, that's, that's, good, that's good. And then he said, what version of the Bible do you read? And I knew, it was, it was kind of like a skateboard video on, on YouTube, you know, like it starts out great, it ends poorly. That's kind of what it's like. You knew what you were up against, right? And I'm like, and I remember I looked at the young man with me and he looked at me like, what just happened here? Like, what, what? This was going so well until right now. And, uh, and, I, and by the way, I named this guy Ebenezer. Now, not because of the Christmas carol. I know what some of you are thinking. Not because of the Christmas girl, though correlations could be drawn. Ebenezer, and I'm going I'm to explain to you why I named him Ebenezer at the end of the story. So Ebenezer sat there and asked us, what version of the Bible are you reading? Now I was trying to give, I was going to try to, to let him know that I gave an honest attempt. I said, I read, I read multiple versions of the Bible. And I said, <clears throat> I even studied the Greek or Hebrew, thinking that he would at least appreciate the work. I'll just say that he was unimpressed. You know, and about that time, his wife, there's a hallway into the living room, and his wife was this little, little petite woman, had a, like a bouffant type hair, pretty dress, and very colorful. She, she uh, came in through the hallway and sat down right next to him, and I'm thinking to myself, many rewards in heaven are likely to be yours for what you have endured here on earth, is what I'm thinking to myself, you know, and... Uh, then he asked the second question, and the second question was this. So, uh, when you sing in church, do you sing off the wall, or do you sing from a hymnal? 
And I, I'm thinking to myself, well, if you're standing next to me, you probably think I sing off the wall, right? Because <laughs> I'm not a great singer, you know? And, uh, but then I, I was quickly reminded of a passage that Jesus said about worshipers. And I said, you know, when I think about worshipers, I think about what Jesus said about worshipers. He said that the kind of worshipers that, Jesus, that the Father's looking for are those who worship in spirit and in truth. Right? John chapter 4. In spirit and in truth. And I said, you know what it means to worship in spirit? It means you're present in the moment. God has your mind's attention and your heart's affection. You're present. You're not thinking about what you're going to do after, you know, church, and you just can't wait for this to end, and you're all about some, somewhere else. Man, he's got you. To be worshiping in spirit, man, he's got you all. He's got you mentally, emotionally. He's got you. You're caught up with him. And his wife was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I, then I said, you know what it means to, to worship in truth? The actual word is authenticity. Is it real? Is it real? And I said, you know what? Maybe the, the way to tell if it's real is to ask the person next to you while you're worshiping. Would, would the way that you worship Jesus in church encourage the person next to you to give him more? Or would they be standing next to somebody who sang that song a thousand times and it looks like it? You could do it without even a thought. And his wife was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And about this time, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to ask this guy a question. I'm tired of getting questioned. I'm going to ask him a question. And besides, I'll probably never see him again, so I'm just going to do it. <clears throat> and I says, sir, could I ask you a question? He says, sure. Ask me anything you want. I said, do you know your neighbor who lives three doors down from you? Do you know her name? And he's like, no, I don't know her. I said, well, let me tell you about your neighbor. Tanya. And I told him about her situation with her daughter, with her boyfriend, with her dad. And he's like, well, oh man, she, sounds like she probably needs to go to church. And then after I, I told her about Tanya, I, this is what I told him. I said, can you tell me how much Tanya is going to care about what version of the Bible you read or whether you sing projected words or printed ones? And his wife was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> demonstrating the truth we all know in our hearts, that our love for God is directly tied to our love for people. And let's, let's be honest. How much can you love your neighbor if you don't even know their name? Why did I call him Ebenezer? In the Bible, an Ebenezer is a stone of remembrance. And as I reflected over this story for weeks, God said, Warren, this is what you look like. And when you live by your neighbor for years and you don't even know their name. And I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. 
I'm not going to do that. So the first and greatest commandment is to? And the second one is to? Love people. One other story I want to share with you about loving people. Um, I was, as a young pastor, I didn't go to many of the national conventions. Uh, I was always serving in the Pacific Northwest, and, and uh, we just didn't know about everywhere else, you know. And I didn't have much money to travel and any of those type of things. But I got this opportunity to go to Indianapolis. By the way, the next national convention is going to be in Indianapolis. And it, uh, but the last time I was in Indianapolis, this is what happened at a national convention. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be there. My way was paid for by another person. I was just blessed. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I get to do that. They paid my hotel. They paid the stuff. I was like, God, this is exciting. There's Baptists everywhere. I'm like, they're everywhere. Listen, I served in Oregon and Washington where you couldn't find a Baptist. You know, it's hard. And so uh, there was Baptists. I'm like, these are my people. My people. They're everywhere. I didn't know we had this many people. You know, and I was truly just joyful, just excited to be around so many people who loved the Lord and, and thought the same kind of things I thought. And, man, you would be walking down there and there'd be like a sea of Baptists with tracts and Bibles and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like, if you were on the sidewalk, you're going to get some literature. Like, they're all about it right there, you know. And I'm like, this is so cool. And I got up early one morning, and I'm just like, I'm walking. And I just want, I want to go walk. I'm going to take this in. And I want to go eat some breakfast. And I just want to appreciate, you know, this experience. And so I'm walking down the sidewalk. And uh, as I'm walking down the sidewalk... I view in my, in my future, there's a homeless man up on there, you know, up the way. And I'm already planning my, my escape route, you know. So I see where he's standing on the sidewalk, and I'm like, I'm going to edge over here a little bit, you know. I don't know if y'all would ever do anything like that, but I, I was all about happening. And I was walking down the sidewalk, and by the time I get to him, it didn't matter how far I got over to the sidewalk, because he just did one of these numbers to get right in front of me. He was, like, really good at this. And so I... Uh, <laughs> He said, do you have any money uh, that you could spare? And I'm like, and I'm, I'm sensing, you know, God saying, I want, you to, I want you to deal with this. And I'm like, you know, uh, I said, you know, tell me your name. What, what is your name? And he said, my name's Timothy. I said, hey, Timothy, my name's Warren. Nice to meet you. And he said, uh, th- he pulled out this track from his back pocket. And he said, this lady gave me this track. She said that she would pray for me. I said, Timothy, I hope, I hope she does. I hope she does pray for you. And he put that track back in his pocket. And uh, I, uh, the Lord was like, you, you, you need to stay here. And I, and I said, uh, I said, Timothy, I said, I don't want to pry or anything, but how did you get here? How did you get here? And you could tell it was like one of those times he hadn't been, he may have not, been asked that question in quite a long time, if ever. And he started reflecting, and he said, well, you know, I grew up in a good home. My mother and father, they're still together. They still love each other. I got brother and sister. They're still there around the area, doing, both doing real well. He said, when I was 13 years old, I went to a party that some of my friends were throwing. And at that party, they started handing 
handing around alcohol. And when I was 13 years old, I took my first drink. And he said, you know, I thought I could handle that. I was doing pretty good, you know, just enjoying, you know, being a part of that scene. And he said, when I, when I was 15 years old, I went to one of those parties and they were passing around the alcohol. But this time, it wasn't just alcohol, it was drugs. They were passing around drugs. And he said, I took my first drugs when I was 15 years old. And this is what he said, I've never been able to shake it. Man, I, I learned some things. I'm looking at this, this man. I'm like, he never imagined him, himself being where he is today. This was never a part of his, his planning. He never thought that anything like this would happen. And see, that, that's often the lie that, that Satan will tell you. is It won't happen to you. Listen, he will grab you and he will pull you under until there's nothing left. When Jesus says... The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's serious. Those are not just words. That's what Jesus will do to you. and I mean, that's what Satan will do to you and everybody else you love. He will take it all. This enemy that we're battling against, he's formidable. And you've got to be sober-minded, and you've got to be a thinker, and you've got to be a prayer, and you've got to be a person of God's word. Because there's lots of people out there that are just like Timothy. Never thought it would happen to them. Man, I'm just trying to take this in, in that moment. And then it was almost like auto-repeat. Pulls back out that track and he says, this woman gave me this track and she said that she would pray for me. Will you pray for me? And I said, I will. And just keep in mind, this is on the sidewalk and there's just Baptists bustling by everywhere. And I I put my hand, he was a little shorter, he was a little shorter than I am, and I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Timothy, let's pray right now. And I said, I call upon the name of Jesus and I prayed everything I could think of good and right for Timothy. I prayed that God would put good people in his life that would help him stay strong. I prayed that he would break the addiction to drugs. I prayed that he would come to saving faith in Jesus. I prayed every good thing I could think of for him. And when I said amen, I took a step back like this, you know, and he just stepped forward and he just grabbed me like this, like a bear hug and caught me with my arms down to my side and he was all wrapped around me and his head was just buried in my chest and he was just holding on. And I'm starting to look around and there's people like, what? What You know, going like, and I'm just feeling all kinds of weird feelings, just awkwardness, you know, it's just like, I don't even know how to handle all these emotions, you know, that's going on right now. And finally, he, he lets go. And I'll, like, quickly establish, you know, personal boundaries, all those type of things. And uh, I gave him a couple dollars, you know, for breakfast. And I said, Timothy, I'm going to keep praying for you, brother. And I turned to walk, you know, away. And I was trying to take all this in. And I was thinking, wow. Man, I hugged a homeless man. And the Spirit of God said, no. A homeless man hugged you. And it really took me years to figure out what happened. 
a homeless man hugged Jesus. And I was just a stand-in. The first and greatest commandment is to. And the second one is to. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take this word and that you would get everything out of it you desire. Your word is clear. The first and greatest commandment is to love you with everything that we've got. The second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. Father, I pray that we would never forget it. That you would write these words on our heart and on our mind as we're interacting with the world around us. That we would know that we're interacting with you. Father, I thank you for these moments where we can stop and that your spirit can deal with us and that you can show us the true condition of our hearts that you can help us go beyond where we are and help us to get to where you want us to be Father I want to I want to pray and ask your blessings on my brothers and sisters here today so much going on in everybody's life so many things that we're dealing with and they're thinking about some of them have troubles at home and troubles at work. Troubles inside their own hearts. I pray that you would fill them with your love. That they may love out of a reservoir that you fill. Above all else, guard your hearts for it is the wellspring of life. Father, thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name.